Before we start the show, do not forget to check out NPR's Fresh Air, the podcast-slash-radio show hosted by Terry Gross. This week, she has interviews with actor Michael K. Williams and Gabriel Sherman, author of a new book about Roger Ailes, who resigned last week as a CEO of Fox News. Get subscribed at npr.org slash podcast or on the NPR One app. All right, time for the show. Hey, y'all. It's the NPR Politics Podcast. We're here to wrap up day three of the Democratic Convention from the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. President Barack Obama was the big speaker of the night. He followed Joe Biden and the man seeking to replace Joe Biden as VP, Virginia Senator Tim Kaine. We'll catch you up on all of this and more. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. And I'm Ron Elving, editor correspondent. Tam, you're back. I'm we back. missed you. It's been a while. Shady's back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I've I've like totally missed you guys, but I've been listening every morning. I refresh my feed every nice. morning. Good, good. So you have been with Hillary Clinton for a while. She's here, so you're here. Exactly. Well, let's get to it. Uh, the night ended with President Obama. He spoke, and before he came out, they played a video, kind of a mini documentary, narrated by Brian Cranston of Breaking Bad fame all about Obama's presidency. It was kind of like this night wasn't just about Hillary Clinton. It was about Obama, his legacy, and the end of these eight years, soon to be. And through crisis and challenge, he kept fighting to move us forward. So then after the video, Obama comes out. Let's hear a tape of that moment. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the 44th president of the United States of America, Barack Obama. And I mean, the crowd was ready to see this man. And they all had their signs on sticks that said Obama, and they were going nuts, except for the people in the California delegation who had TPP signs. The California delegation has been in a civil war with itself all week. We'll talk about that later. But (laughs) those delegates, my goodness. So Obama comes out, well-received. Totally. I mean, they loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, uh, but, you know, what room in America, what room in the world would not be Barack Obama's own owned room other than the Democratic delegates to the Democratic National Convention? This was where, 12 years ago on this very date, he made his bones. This is where he gave that speech that knocked everybody out in Boston in the keynote speech and the not a red America and a blue America yeah. but one America. Yeah. You know, that really made him as a national made politician. Yeah. So he began by talking about his first big speech at a Democratic convention in Boston in 04. I, I was so young that first time in Boston. And and look, I'll, I'll admit it, maybe I was a little nervous addressing such a big crowd. But I was filled with faith. Faith in America, the generous, big-hearted, hopeful country that made my story, that made all of our stories possible. Now, a lot's happened over the years. And while this nation has been tested by war, and it's been tested by recession, and all manner of challenges, I stand before you again tonight, after almost two terms as your president, to tell you I am more optimistic about the future of America than ever before. This was, at its core, an optimistic speech. This was, you know, the 
shining city on the hill, whatever you want to call it. I, I saw a bunch of tweets coming through from Republicans, not Trump Republicans, but definitely real Republicans who said, this is the optimism I remember from my party. Mm. Where did it go? Mm. That's right. And much of this was about claiming the high ground in the eight-year referendum election, which this is by absolute historical force. You cannot deny the fact that they've had the ball for eight years and it's the other team's turn and the other team wants the ball very badly and they have to make the case for keeping it. And they also have to make the case for the person they're handing the ball to. But before that, you know, he also made the case that the GOP itself is just not optimistic in the way that he and Democrats are. But what we heard in Cleveland last week wasn't particularly Republican. And it sure wasn't conservative. What we heard was a deeply pessimistic vision of a country where we turn against each other and turn away from the rest of the world. There were no serious solutions to pressing problems. Just the fanning of resentment and blame, and anger, and hate. And that is not the America I know. The America I know is full of courage, and optimism, and ingenuity. The America I know is decent and generous. So that was his big opening argument. By the way, if you hear any noise in uh, the audio behind us, there is a reason. They are tearing down this stage and rebuilding it for tomorrow. Bear with us, listeners. Do they do that every night? No, no. this is the first. This time. is a special thing they're doing for the big uh, for the Hillary uh, stage. Is yeah, it? I mean they they're going to tear down the stage and build something. Tear down quite that wall. Quite different, and that is partly to be a transition to show that we are moving on now, having completed in a spiritual kind of sense the Obama presidency, and we're moving on to the new day, and they're going to have a new stage to do it on. Yeah. So let's hear Obama's first big applause line, where he makes a case for Hillary Clinton as the person to carry the torch, to carry on his vision for the country. And there is only one candidate in this race who believes in that future, has devoted her life to that future, a mother and a grandmother who would do anything to help our children thrive, a leader with real plans to break down barriers and blast through glass ceilings and widen the circle of opportunity to every single American, the next president of the United States, Hillary Clinton. Another big moment for him in this speech was not just about Hillary Clinton, but about Donald Trump. It it was more along this theme about American values. Yeah. Anyone who threatens our values, whether fascists or communists or jihadists or homegrown demagogues, will always fail in the end. You know, so I can definitely see the other side picking that up and saying that was was not appropriate, right? That, they certainly may come back by saying they think that Barack Obama's been a demagogue for the last eight years as president and before that as a candidate. Or that he gave comfort to jihadists. They will say that as well. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think that this is, God, like, this is a political speech where the president of the United States called one of the people who has been nominated to replace him, who is going to be getting national security briefings any minute, a homegrown demagogue. I mean, like, you just have to pause and say, wow, 2016. But there is, I mean, if anyone would call him that, it would be Obama. This is, Trump is a guy who challenged his citizenship for a long time. And there they was a, a joke in the speech tonight about that, about his ancestors in Kansas on his mother's side. See, my grandparents, they came from the heartland. 
Their ancestors began settling there about 200 years ago. I don't know if they had their birth certificates, but they were there. And so he was, you know, he's still taking shots back on that one. Yeah. So we talked last night about whether we'd hear a lot of talk about terrorism and violent crime. We did. It came from the president, too. He made the case for Clinton's experience to be commander-in-chief. She's worked closely with our intelligence teams, our diplomats, our military. She has the judgment and the experience and the temperament to meet the threat from terrorism. It's not new to her. Our troops have pounded ISIL without mercy, taking out their leaders, taking back territory. And I know Hillary won't relent until ISIL is destroyed. She will finish the job. And she will do it without resorting to torture or banning entire religions from entering our country. She is fit and she is ready to be the next commander-in-chief. This night was, it had many themes, but a big theme of this night of the convention was the commander-in-chief test theme. And there were a number of validators, if you will, President Obama being the biggest one, who came on stage and said, yes, she's the one who should be commander-in-chief, not that other guy. And they found so many different ways to say not that other guy, to say he's temperamentally unfit or question his sanity even. There were just a number of digs at, at Donald Trump, speaker after speaker after speaker. Well, in one case, we had the former mayor of New York City, Michael Bloomberg, say at the very end of his speech, and this was not in his prepared remarks, to sum it up, uh, we need a president. I want you to vote for Hillary Clinton because she's the sane and competent candidate. And together, let's select a sane, competent person with international experience. A unifier who is mature enough to reach out for advice, to build consensus, and to recognize that we all have something to contribute. Well, that's pretty rough talk, especially coming from somebody who used to be a Republican. Yeah. And you is know, now an independent. He's not a Democrat. Yeah. As far as Obama's speech, for me, what I felt was that he's still making the Red America, Blue America speech. Just tonight, it was about the there are no Hillary bros or Bernie bros, there are Democratic bros. Like, there's this <laughs> line in his speech where he's basically saying, you have to do this, get in the arena with Hillary. And if you're serious about our democracy, you can't afford to stay home just because she might not align with you on every issue. You've got to get in the arena with her because democracy isn't a spectator sport. America isn't about, yes, he will. It's about, yes, we can. And we're going to carry Hillary to victory this fall because that's what the moment demands. That's classic Obama. Yes. That's classic Obama. He also delivered the most classic Obama line, which the first time I heard him say it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's kind of clever. So he like says Donald Trump's name at some point. And then there's Donald Trump. And some of the people start booing, and he says, Don't boo, vote. And, 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 and he has and, said that vote. he should have that on a T-shirt. He says it so much. It will be on T-shirts very yeah. soon if yeah. it isn't already. Uh, th there, is, there is probably some of both of what you're suggesting, both that he uh, still believes, perhaps naively, that with speeches he can change the world, you know. I would submit 
in some measure, very small measure, it's a very big world, the world has changed. History has changed because of some of Barack Obama's speeches, and that's what he is still trying to do now, and as he leaves the presidency, still believes that he has moved the ball a little bit. But also said there's still work to be done, and he said he has to pass the torch to Hillary and urge the crowd to help him do that. We have that, that final cut of tape from him there. And now I'm ready to pass the baton and do my part as a private citizen. So this year, in this election, I'm asking you to join me to reject cynicism and reject fear and to summon what is best in us to elect Hillary Clinton as the next president of the United States and show the world we still believe in the promise of this great nation. Thank you for this incredible journey. Let's keep it going. God bless you. God bless the United States of America. You hear so much of church in there at the end. The call and response, the energy of the crowd that is feeding him and lifting him up. It's he an altar has, call. He's, and, he's and he's doing gotten a better at altar. the altar call over time. He yes. wasn't always good at the altar call. Yes. Now he is giving the kind of altar call that brings the whole church to its knees. Exactly. And everyone was actually on their feet. Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Not on their knees. <laughs> <laughs> nice pickup. Hillary Clinton comes out on stage, they point at each other, and then they have this big embrace. They're just like soaking it in and waving. Who would have ever thought eight years ago? Oh. The two of them doing yeah. that. No, well, and, and, and it looked genuine. So genuine. It did. It shone. It shone. And there is reason to think that they have come to be allies and friends, certainly allies, in those last eight years. All right. So just before that, we heard from Virginia Senator Tim Kaine. Uh, he really had to introduce himself to the country for the first time. He had some help from a little video that rolled at the beginning. Again, a video-heavy convention. Tim began as a civil rights lawyer focused on fighting housing discrimination, insurance companies, and injustice. Eventually, he ran for city council. And then Kane came out to accept his nomination for VP. For every American who wants our country to be a beloved community, where people aren't demeaned because of who they are, but rather respected for their contributions to this nation. And, and for all of us who know that the brightest future for our country is the one that we build together. And for my friend Hillary Clinton, I humbly accept my party's nomination to be vice president of the United States. So one of the points that he made really early on was about Hillary Clinton and trust. Do you remember the mothers of the movement last night? They said they trust Hillary to keep other mother's sons and daughters safe. And, um, and on a personal level, as he's serving our nation abroad, I trust Hillary Clinton with our son's life. We should add that his son is a Marine who was just this week deployed. Now, one really interesting thing about that is that his son has been deployed to NATO. So Tim Kaine and his son and his family become almost like a human rebuttal to Donald Trump's recent arguments that the NATO alliance should be questioned uh, and that, you know, the military is not strong and great. And, you know, Kane didn't just reference it in a kind of roundabout fashion. He also just went after Trump head on. Trump is a guy who promises a lot, 
but uh, you might have noticed he's got a way of saying the same two words every time he makes his biggest, hugest promises. Believe me. It's going to be great. Believe me. We're going to build a wall and make Mexico pay for it. Believe me. We're going to destroy ISIS so fast. Believe me. There's nothing suspicious in my tax returns. Believe me. So I'm not going to say I loved it, this impersonation, but I will say that over the course of his speech, Twitter had a lot of fun with Tim Kaine. He basically was like kind of a dad, like one big dad joke, kind of norm core. Um, in defense of Tim Kaine, here is a man who just doesn't care. He just like, yes. he speaks Spanish. He leans into his norm he, core. He speaks Spanish. That's why I took a year off from law school to volunteer with Jesuit missionaries in Honduras. I taught kids how to be welders and carpenters. Y allá aprendí los valores del pueblo, fe y familia y trabajo. Faith, family, and work. The thing that learning somebody else's language says is I'm ultimate, trying. ultimate respect. Yes. There is nothing you can do that shows more respect for somebody else's culture than to really work hard at learning the language. Are you going to be a native speaker? Never. Are you going to be really great at it? No. But it is the ultimate sign of respect. I talked to a delegate from Texas after Kane's speech. He's a Latino. And I said, how'd you like it? And he was like, it was good. I said, well, how do you like Kane? And he said, well, I would have liked a Latino pick. That obviously didn't happen. But, but then he said, and he also speaks Spanish, and he lived in that part of the world. So he's trying. He, he learned it in Honduras, not yeah, in school. exactly. At a Jesuit mission, uh, which he was doing not because he had to, but because he wanted to. And so you just have to look at all those things in comparison with other attitudes towards Latin America, South America, and the rest of the Western Hemisphere. So, you know, in that line of uh, the Trump impersonation, after that, Kane spent some time uh, needling Trump on his tax returns, which have not been released yet. Do we expect this to become an issue that Dems begin to pick up more and more? Now the theory is... And this is rather new, since it's mostly been about whether or not he paid a fair share of taxes or whether or he was really as rich as he says he is. Now it is, well, just how much is he exposed to Russian business interests who have financed many of his deals and hold loans from him? How much of that does he not want to reveal? That's he the question. He holds loans from them. That they have loaned him money. They have loaned him money. He says he has zero investments in Russia, even though his sons have said that they have many assets that are Russian, quote-unquote. Those may be. There is far more risk for him, more reputational risk, uh, than there is gain. And, and he may or may not become president, but if he releases his tax returns, that's forever. That's yeah. right. And, and, and let's face it, I mean, he's already taken the hit for saying no, and he will continue to take a limited hit for that. But clearly, he sees more damage in releasing them. All right. So before Tim Kaine, there was the Joe Biden. Uh, the crowd here was very happy to see him, too, right? Um, he kind of was a hype man. He came out to do his thing. And, be, and he began by praising Obama. Folks, you've all seen over the last eight years what President Obama means to this country. He's the embodiment. He is the embodiment of honor, resolve, and character. One of the finest presidents we have ever had. How was it? It was vintage Joe Biden. 
He touched yeah. the usual notes. He touched them in the usual way. He's very direct. He's exhorting. He's pointing his finger in your face. Folks! You know, he's he's shouting his address to you. And he, he does it. Also just, like, feels with the crowd. Yeah. Like, you just feel him. He's just so him. happy to be there. You feel his empathy. The thing about Joe tonight was he probably realized that he doesn't have another one of these to give. No, this mm. was his last. This was his last convention. Uh, he's well into his 70s. Yeah. Uh, he's had his moment. He's had his chance. He's had run for president a couple of times. Uh, didn't go so well, but he got a chance at the second brass ring, and he's made the most of it. And he was saying goodbye, not just to the people in this hall who have been his great believers, but pretty much to all the Democrats in the country who have responded to him over the years and that he responds to and that he feels he represents. Eight years ago, I stood on a stage in Denver. And I accepted your nomination to be vice president of the United States. And then... Biden hit the other big theme of this whole convention, bashing Donald Trump. His cynicism is unbounded. His lack of empathy and compassion can be summed up in the phrase I suspect he's most proud of having made famous, you're fired. I mean, really, I'm not joking. Think about that. Think about that. Think about everything you learned as a child, no matter where you were raised. How can there be pleasure in saying you're fired? He's trying to tell us he cares about the middle class. Give me a break. That's a bunch of malarkey. I still don't know what actually malarkey means. It, 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 I think it, we, should, we should actually do some science Google here and, and find out what it means. Anyways, I, I think it's Irish. He does this thing. Well, It, 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 it almost was more poignant and more effective than actually saying any other word. I think I think it, it made so the Biden. point much better because the, the here again the connection that, that the Democrats have largely lost and it used to be where they lived back in the days of FDR, back in the days of, of uh, the labor movement. Uh, the Democratic Party lived in lunch bucket America. That's where it came from. I mean there were other you know pillars of the Democratic Party in other regions but that's where the northern Democratic Party came from. And that's where Joe Biden comes from. You know, the Scranton background, the Irish Catholic background, all of that. These are his people. And he was talking to them tonight, and malarkey was the right word to use. And it means, according to Google, it is a noun. It's informal, meaningless talk, nonsense. Don't give me that malarkey. Yes, sir. Uh, Let's hear how Joe Biden closed this whole thing down. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because, because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. And God willing, God willing, Hillary Clinton will write the next chapter in that journey. We are America, second to none, and we own the finish line. Don't forget it. God bless you all. And may God protect our troops. Come on. We're America. Okay, really quick break. We'll be right back. Let's take a moment to thank and share a message from our sponsor, LearnVest. Did you know the average indebted American household has over $16,000 in credit card debt? 
and 31% of Americans have zero retirement savings. The good news is LearnVest is here to help. LearnVest is redefining financial planning by making it affordable and accessible to everyday Americans. When you work with LearnVest, you tell them what you want to accomplish with your money, and they'll create a customized financial plan to help you get there. To see a financial plan and get a $50 credit, go to learnvest.com slash nprpolitics. All right, let's talk about a couple of speeches from earlier in the night. We heard from a mother who lost her son, Christopher, in the Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting. Christopher, Christopher was a big Hillary supporter. That's why I'm here, so that I can tell you about the day he was born. At the time, I was a Michigan State Trooper. When I went into labor, the hospital put my off-duty gun in a safe. I didn't argue. I know common sense gun policies save lives. We also heard from Congresswoman Gabby Giffords. Speaking is difficult for me, but come January, I want to say these two words, Madam President. So this was the gun control section. Yeah, she talked about the need for gun control. Uh, We heard it from a lot of people who were victims of violent crime and from a lot of military families and personnel. And then, you know, these conventions have performances by musical groups. um, And there was this song that... All of these stars of Broadway came well, all out of and the, sang. It, like, it was like 25 people from Broadway, all in a line, sharing one mic, it seemed, singing What the World Needs Now. What the world needs now is sweet love. This was meant to be an absolute contrast with the Republican convention that was very dark. And then you have this Democratic convention where you have all these smiling people on stage singing what the world yeah. needs now is love, sweet love. And it was, it was, it was like a polar opposite. Okay, it, let's just put it this way. In case there was a single soft-hearted liberal left-leaning lifetime Democrat out there who wasn't loving this convention, at that point they had them. Yeah. And then at the end of the song, the whole crowd starts chanting, love, love. I think there was a little love Trump's hate in that chant, too. Yes, there was. And, and, and that's all fine. It's a wonderful message. But, you know, obviously all of these things are messaging. After that, the night took a small turn. Retired Admiral John Hudson got up to speak. He was the first person of the night to really talk about national security in a big way. Let's hear a clip of that. Uh, he took on Donald Trump. He even mocks our POWs, like John McCain. I served in the same Navy as John McCain. I used to vote in the same party as John McCain. Donald, you're not fit to polish John McCain's boots. Crowd loves this. But then, over the course of this man's speech, um, it seemed like some Bernie supporters started to do some counter-chanting. As the dean of the University of New Hampshire School of Law, I invited each presidential candidate to talk about terrorism. 
Well, and this was actually, this was a moment where I think some Californians were talking to other Californians. But over the course of this speech and then into the next, no, they were like trying to shout over each other. Is that like you and me in this podcast? <laughs> some Californians talking to some other Californians. Well, but the California delegation has been a hotbed of unrest throughout this uh, convention. And the interesting thing is, wow, how disruptive would they have been if Hillary had lost that state, which she actually won fairly handily, but there are still a lot of Sanders delegates from there, and they are an obstreperous group. Yeah, so, you know, there were those chants then, and then when former CIA chief Leon Panetta was speaking, uh, they began to chant, no more war. And he was also Secretary of Defense in the Obama administration. Today, only today, Today, let this me, has now been the third day of some interruptions like that. You know, yesterday we saw a walkout by a few hundred Bernie supporters after the roll call vote of the states when Clinton was named the nominee formally. Um, today there were more, more protests outside. Um, I'm sure this will continue tomorrow. What does this mean for the next few months of this election? Are we maybe just paying a little too much attention? We're talking to like about some very loud, not that many people who know how to get in front of cameras. That I would say is an accurate question. I mean, that is a real question. But but you also raise an interesting point here, Sam, which is that a small group of people who are very loud, even if they're much louder here in the arena than they are on television coverage, is disruptive. It's clearly distracted Leon. Panetta. It clearly distracted some of the other speakers tonight. I think it distracted Tim Kaine. They were not expecting these people to continue this behavior after a couple of days and after the roll call vote. But they're not just here to try to elect Bernie Sanders. Many of them now are angry at Bernie Sanders for conceding and endorsing Hillary. So they are here to be uh, expressive of their political point of view, which they feel has not gotten a fair uh, airing at this convention, that they are not represented. And they feel that some of these people, including Hillary Clinton and Tim Kaine and Leon Panetta and others are not are, are hawkish and they are not peace oriented and they feel that the peace message should be heard at a Democratic National Convention. All right, let's go back to the tape of Panetta for a second. Donald Trump, who wants to be president of the United States, is asking one of our adversaries to engage in hacking or intelligence efforts against the United States of America to affect an election. So he was talking about this press conference Trump gave earlier today where Trump seems to ask Russia to hack more of the DNC's files. Oh, no. or do, I think he's asking them to find Hillary Clinton's lost or deleted emails. The 33,000. And he was saying, hey, maybe Russia, if you've got this or if you could gain access to it, if you could find it. He said you could you could give it, that, that the Russians could get hold of this and then give it to the American media, which would thank them to have it, and then they could report on what was in it. And, uh, of course, you know, the supposition would be that the, the Russians would get a hold of all of these uh, emails and then, of course, not show them to the KGB, but show them to the American media. I, I mean, it, it's just all fantastic. It, it does not compute that anybody would mean this. And so now his defense is led by the chairman, Paul Manafort, of his campaign, who said, oh, of course, he was being sarcastic. And now Trump, apparently on an interview that will air Thursday, is going to say, yeah, that's right. I was being sarcastic. Of course, I was being sarcastic. Of course, I didn't mean the Russians should look at these emails or, or discover them or go looking for anything else in the United States. All right. So 
one more day, or night rather, Hillary Clinton, of course, will speak. What else should we expect tomorrow? And I guess what does Clinton need to do herself? First thing you do is you don't load the program with lots of knock-it-out-of-the-park speakers in front of her. Second Too thing, late. Yeah, well, no. I, I, oh, it's tomorrow night. I mean tomorrow. Okay. I mean, Erase sure. the memory of in, tonight. In a very real sense, it is too late. But I'm not saying that you should have a whole week of dull speakers. But I do think that it's smart to put these people who are home run hitters earlier in the week. So tomorrow night, I suspect we'll see a lot homier kind of presentation in which it's not nearly as oratorical and much more uh, about humanizing Hillary Clinton and that we're going to see a lot of of, um, making her feel cuddlier, if you will, somebody we can cozy up to a little bit more, and then we're going to see her come out and try to be a little simpler, as Tam was just saying, trying to be a little more direct, tear a page out of Joe Biden's book without, of course, trying to be Joe Biden, tear a page out of Barack Obama's book and Michelle's book without trying to be them, but just consider what makes people stop and listen to them. Don't lecture, connect, speak to them in language they understand, and reestablish what I think she actually had not too long ago, which is a fairly good trust relationship with the American public before the carpet bombing and the barrage began. And she will also be introduced tomorrow night by her daughter, Chelsea Clinton, who we have not heard from this week so far. But we've seen her because she's been here in the convention hall. Yeah. So one more night. You guys, we're almost there. We're going to make it. This is only my first night. (laughs) Lucky duck. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm well so rested. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to go get You're on the well bus. Tam is our relief pitcher, and tomorrow night she's going to be our closer. <laughs> We're going to bring it home. All right, that is it for tonight. It has been so great to be doing this for you guys, these daily episodes. Uh, last one tomorrow. After that, we're going back to our regular schedule of weekly episodes every Thursday evening and quick takes throughout the week on big news as it happens. As always, more of our coverage of politics is on your local public radio station. I am Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. And I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. And I'm Ron Elving, editor correspondent. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. Have I told you guys about vocalness yet? <laughs> <laughs>